Turning to Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2, and I want us to begin reading there in verse 21. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21. We see in reading the scripture and by comparing scripture with scripture that our Lord and Mary and Joseph fulfilled every prescription of the Old Testament law, all that was required of them. In Luke 2 and verse 21, and when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before whom he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, all that is outlined in Leviticus chapter 12, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What a beautiful thing it is for parents to bring their children and to present them to the Lord. We think that's a very precious thing to do by way of the parents saying, we are the Lord's, our children are the Lord's. We want to rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And uh, they brought the Lord to present him. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Mary's firstborn as the firstborn of every woman born was to be specifically and specially set aside apart for the Lord. The firstborn of everything a Jewish person had, all of their animals, the first of the flock, the firstlings of the flock were set aside. And as we studied in Sunday school this morning, they would have brought the redemption price when they brought and presented the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what a paradox the Redeemer being redeemed. Verse 24, And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this is because they could not afford a lamb, the more typical offering that was brought. And again, is that not a paradox that Mary and Joseph did not bring a lamb, that their son was the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. They could only afford the turtle doves, the, 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 the least expensive of the offerings. It shows you their lowest state, their conditions, their circumstances. But our circumstances do not define us, do they? Our circumstances do not limit us in the will and the mind of the Lord. And I, I want to remind us as we read these scriptures that no matter where you're coming from or what your circumstances are, the Lord makes all the difference. And the Lord has a will and a plan for each of us, even as he did for this couple. And behold, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Do you understand what? Simeon was promised, you will not die until you see the Messiah. What an ex- Can you imagine how expectantly he lived day by day? The Lord had told him specifically, you will not die until Messiah comes. But I want you to know we've been given the same promise that the Messiah is coming. And some of us will be alive. There will be believers alive when the Lord Jesus comes back again. It could be this generation. We should be just as excited, just as filled with expectancy. That the Lord is coming. That's not some distant, far-off thing. The coming of the Lord is nigh, near at hand. Oh, how it should move us and stir us to live holy before Him, as Peter tells us. This ought to purify us and cause us to live in expectancy. 
The Lord is at hand. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit. Do you see? Three times the Bible emphasizes that his life was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. He came by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. We looked at Abraham's servant last week. And what was his testimony? I being in the way, the Lord led me. That's the way all of God's people should be led. Not just Abraham's servant and Simeon. You ought to be able to say today and tomorrow, I being in the way the Lord led me. And the Lord, by the Spirit, I am doing what I am doing. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, we cannot think that there were not other parents doing the same thing, all the, the people of Israel. And yet, Simeon looked when he saw this humble couple. It wasn't because of their dress, was it? If Mary and Joseph could only afford turtle doves, they were not dressed in fine clothing. This humble couple making their way across the court of women and over yonder where she'd come every day for her long widowhood was Anna. And she saw it at just the moment. The Bible says on down in that instant, Anna saw when Simeon reached. I'm not sure how perhaps he saw her and the glow in his face. He said, may I hold him? Can I see him? Mary had great grace to allow this stranger, this old man who came up to her and took her baby from her arms. Look at verse 28. What a glorious verse it is. Took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, as the choir sang this morning, now, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I am holding, I am looking at the Savior. I'm holding the, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. And then, oh, the ominous verse. This word from God's prophet, yea, Yes, and a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Later on in John's gospel we read, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved he saith unto his mother woman behold thy son the piercing of Mary's heart that Simeon prophesied came true and I may remind you there's not a verse there's not a jot or a tittle a crossing of the T or the dotting of the I of this word that will not all come to pass just as the Lord has spoken. Now, gracious Heavenly Father, we, we marvel. We stand in awe at your word. 
And we often, when we read portions of Scripture like this, we say, oh, to be Anna, or to be Simeon, to be that elderly man who saw the baby Jesus and held him up and blessed him. But Lord, we're far more blessed than Simeon or Anna. We have your complete revelation. We see what you're going to do to the very end. We see you great lifted up in all power and glory, ruling and reigning with many crowns upon your head and your, your robe filling the temple and every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see your glory in your church, the glory of what your cross has accomplished as souls are redeemed and converted and added to the body of Christ. We see you, Lord, in your glorious church, your bride. Though while here below we are frail and feeble, you say we are a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, and we will be presented before the Father's throne in purity and in glory. Now as we meet and consider these things, oh, dear Spirit of God, illumine us and bless us and help us today in Jesus' precious name. Someone has remarked that Charles Wesley's hymns cover practically every part of Scripture, and of the many hundreds that he wrote, they certainly do. One thing you see, how deeply steeped in Scripture they are. Two stanzas from his Christmas hymn that he wrote in 1744 certainly describe and point out that he knew the Bible. He writes, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit rule in all of our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit. Raise us to thy glorious throne. It's as if these verses written by Wesley were written with Simeon in mind because this was Simeon's heart cry and the thrust of his life as we read his prophetic words here in Luke chapter 2. We might ask, who was this man, Simeon, and why were his words so important? We see Simeon's anticipation. Very little is known about Simeon, other than what we read here in the scriptures. But often people appear that way in the, in the word of God. They just appear, they do what they're called to do, and then we hear or see nothing else of them in all the scriptures. And his name, though, we know means God has heard. And that's certainly insightful, isn't it? It also can mean one who hears and obeys hearing with acceptance. I hope that you've come not just to hear the word of God today, but with the intention of obeying what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, that's what Simeon did. It was a common Hebrew name, and it was the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. When Simeon's parents named him as a baby, the Lord led them to give him a name that showed a heart for the things of the Lord. And he certainly would exemplify that in his life. It became Simeon's lifelong desire the thrust of his life to see the Messiah. I wonder if we realize how few, very few, the remnant made up the remnant of those who were looking for the Messiah when Jesus came. 
It was indeed a remnant, and as always, in any given time, there have been a believing remnant of God's people. But it seems that Christ came to this earth at one of the darkest hours in all of history. Now, we could point to times in history, we might say the Middle Ages, or the time of the plague, or, or other times, the Great Depressions, or wars. And there may be times you could point to, but this was a dark hour. It became, though, his lifelong desire and goal to see Messiah. Someone has said, there's an old saying, and I know it goes only so far, but that we usually find what we're looking for. And I found that to be true. When we set our heart and our life towards something, we're more apt to see or to find those things which we seek. And at the end of his long life, God miraculously and graciously heard the cry of his heart and sent him across the Savior's path across his. We learned several things about Simeon here in verse 25 that that we should not overlook. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just. We know that that word means justified, or having a right standing before God. This means that Simeon was saved. His, his sins had been cleansed and forgiven by his faith in the word of God. As a result, God had declared him righteous. And that's what takes place when a person comes to that point when they realize they're a sinner in need of a savior and cry out in faith to the Lord. He declares them righteous. It's a glorious theme. One of the most glorious, the most glorious doctrine in all the scripture that God can be, the, be just and the justifier of them that, that believe in Christ. He clears us of all blame. That's an amazing thing because when we look at our record, we have, a, we have quite a record, don't we? And uh, we think of all those things that we wish we could never have to think of or remember, that even grace is not erased from our minds. And to think being cleared of all that, having no, no blame against our names, we have his own righteousness, which is pure and without flaw. Oh, how miraculous, how glorious it is to think that we can be justified and we can by faith, justified by faith, the scripture tells us. And this Simeon was, this same man was just. God had declared him righteous. Now, no priest or pastor or human can declare you righteous. There's no list of things you can check off, like a to-do list or a shopping list or a spiritual uh, rights that we check them all off and, and say, you pass go, you're righteous. That is not how it works. For all of our righteousness, all of our good deeds are as what, the scripture tells us, are as filthy rags. So that, that's absolutely without merit. All that you could ever think of to do in this life, and apart from Christ's righteousness, is absolutely worthless. Is there anything more worthless than filthy rags? Is there anything more undesirable than filthy rags? And the Bible clearly says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Where we're in a predicament. The Bible says we must have righteousness, and yet we can't earn it. That's a predicament, isn't it? Without righteousness, holiness shall no man see the Lord. If I don't have it, and we certainly don't have it in and of ourselves, you don't have to look far down in that heart and mind of yours to see there's all kinds of unrighteous things there. And from an early age, you've seen you don't have to teach babies to lie. You don't have to teach them to, to lie. They come, the scripture says it, and those, of, those who've reared children know that it's true. They come to the world speaking lies. Now, that's a bold statement, but the Bible says, it talks about the depravity of man. Now, I see a lot of parents who don't believe that, but the scripture declares it, and your te their teachers and observers could tell you that it is true, so take my word for it. 
We're sinners by nature, by birth. And then we choose to sin because we are sinners. You don't have to teach a rattlesnake to bite, do you, or have venom. The venom comes with him. I don't care how cute, and I've never seen a cute snake. Some people love little baby snakes, but I, for one, have never seen a cute snake. But how tiny or precious uh, a little, I found a a copperhead in our flower bed this summer. I wasn't going to tell my wife about it because I was afraid we'd have to move, you know. But... (laughs) And, I, and the thing about it is it was only one, and it was a little bitty. And where there's one little bitty, we know there's others they are not so little bitty, at least another one that's not so little bitty. And so, but I, I, the, being the man of the house that I am, I smashed that snake. I want you to know I took care of that viper, that, that, that huge python. And uh, I said, do you see that? She said, what was that? I said, that? That, my dear, I'll have you know, was a dangerous, poisonous copperhead. But have no fear, your husband took care of it. She looked, she looked like she was, you know, very safe and sound. And uh, I could see the look on her face. This, this didn't sound good. It was so close to the house. I mean, right up at the door. But you don't have to teach a copperhead how to be a copperhead, do you? It comes innately. And you and I are sinners in just that way. We're born that way. We have sin within us, and we sin because we're sinners. And so we need righteousness. We don't have it. We can't come up with it. It can only be given as a gift. It can only be appropriated, imputed, put on our account by a declaration from the righteous judge of heaven. God declares the believing sinner righteous. When that person turns from himself and his sin or her sin and self, and rest in the promise of God to save. Oh, you can be declared righteous. When you and your heart come to him, even at this moment, while I'm preaching, you and your heart can go to the Lord and say, I'm a sinner in need of grace, in need of your righteousness. And if you come to him repenting and determining to to have him as your Lord and Savior, if you'll come to him, he said, I will not cast you out. The guarantee this morning is that all who come to him, nobody will be cast out. Isn't that a glorious thing to think about this morning? Preacher, you don't know what I've done. It's it's none of my business. You tell him what you've done. His blood cleanses us from all sin. All sin. There's no sin that he will not cleanse and forgive. Well, at the end of his long life, God graciously heard the cry of his heart. And we see that Simeon was just, justified. God had declared him righteous. At some point in Simeon's life, we're not told when, he realized his sinfulness. He understood that he needed a Savior and saw in the sacrifices and all the the types and pictures of the Old Testament sacrifices that God would send a Savior, and he came and was justified. God the Father declared him righteous because God's coming Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, his death on the cross would pay for his own personal debt of sin, just like it's paid for mine and for yours. The good news this morning is it's paid in full. Don't you like to see those stamps, those rubber stamps that says paid? That's a good feeling to have a debt paid off. To have that, that deed. Have you ever had paid off a mortgage and have the deed in your safety deposit box or the, the, the title of that car and you have it paid off free and clear? That, there is nothing on earth that feels like that. But there's nothing to be compared to your record in heaven and with Christ's own blood stamped over those sins, paid in full by the precious Son of God. Simeon was not only a just man, but the Holy Spirit records that he was devout. 
I know a lot of just people, those who declare that they're just, whose lives aren't so devout. And therein is a problem, isn't it? I will tell you, there may be a lot of, of, of justified people who there should not be, but there may be those who say they're justified but not devout, but it should never be. There can be some devout people who are not justified, but there are no justified people who are not devout. And that means he was fixed on God, that he was absolutely mesmerized with the things of the Lord. He lived out his life daily. It was real to him. And I would like to ask you this morning as we consider this, this glorious time of the year where we point our attention to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, do I, Chris Lamb, and I'll just ask myself out loud since I'm doing the preaching, all right, and I'm not going to go in your space, do I, Chris Lamb, live as if the Savior has come? Does my life exemplify by my acts and deeds and my checkbook and my date book and my, my private life and my public life? Can you observe my life in a microscope as the Lord can and does? Thou God seest me and see that I live as if the save, there is a Savior in heaven who's coming back at any split second. That's the thing, is it? He has come. We, we focus on the incarnation of Christ, but that's just a part of the picture. That little baby lived and grew in favor and stature and favor with God and man. He grew until he went to Calvary and died there in our place to provide that justification and then rose victorious over the grave. And then he ascended into the heavens. And he, his last words, the angel said, Why you stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, whom you've seen go up into heaven, will so come in like manner as you've seen him go. And so, do I live like that? It's one thing to sing Christmas carols and point to in a manger long ago somewhere, but do we live and act in our daily decisions and work life and relationships as if Christ has come and he's alive and he's coming again? You see the expectancy. Simeon, Anna, these people lived with a holy expectancy that Jesus Christ was coming to this earth again. Why, what manner of people we ought to be, Peter says, because of this, looking into and hastening the coming of the Lord. Now, we don't hasten his coming. We don't bring him here by any devices or prayers, although the prayer of God's people should be, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be a good thing if he just came this Christmas season? It'd solve a whole lot of stuff, wouldn't it? I'm telling you, it'd clear up a whole lot of issues in my life if Jesus Christ could just come back. But he'll come when it's his time, in that appointed time. We ought to look, live and look and, and be expectant for him to come. Now, a person who has been declared righteous will live a righteous life. The scriptures are very clear that a life set apart to the Lord. There will be a change in his or her life. And in fact, one of the, the marks, one of the ways you can test your conversion to see, has that change come about? Do I, am I a godly person? Is my heart like a magnet toward God and his word and the things of the Lord? A devout person like Simeon is concerned first and foremost with the things of God. And so I ask you this morning, the scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Is that your lot in life? Does that describe you? Could Matthew 6.33 be emblazoned across you that you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? A devout person is concerned about the things of God. They live a careful, cautious, responsible life, as we read in, in Titus. Sober. You hear that word sober and looking for and practicing these things. You older people... 
You, just because you have great age, does that mean you can just coast along and, and wait till you go to heaven? We see these older people, Anna, over 100 years old. And Simeon, although we're not told how old he was, we assume that he was a man of great age. And we see it throughout the scripture. Abraham, we're studying his life. They were in, in, in heart and mind, and even though physical limitations may, may enter in, and we're certainly sure of that, but they still had a zeal for the things of God and to see the Lord's will and, on earth come to pass. And it, it was what an amazing thing, a sober life. We walk circumspectly, carefully, one who is exemplary and conscientious to honor God and bring glory to his name. I just want to ask you this morning, do you, by your living day by day, your day-to-day living, attract attention to Jesus Christ and glorify his name? Do others who may not like you because of your being joined with the Lord Jesus Christ, but do your coworkers and your neighbors know, not your disposition, but do they know that you are a follower of Christ and that you're devotedly his? Or would they, be, would they not know about that? Would they be surprised if someone would say, well, you know, Chris Lamb is a Christian. He, he's a preacher. Did you know that? No, I didn't know. He's a preacher? That man's a preacher? I never would have, never would have dreamed that. But there are believers, professing believers, who co-workers would be that surprised if they were to, he goes to church. I've never heard her say anything about any, anything of the Lord. I've never, I thought Christians, you know, were different. I'm just asking, what do those who know us best, let's just take it down a step further. Let's talk to your children, your mate, your grandchildren. Well, verse 25, I'm, I'll move along there. I can see that I've done enough damage there for, for right now. Verse 25 tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, then what does that mean? The consolation of Israel. I've heard of consolation prizes and whatever. What is consoling means the comfort, the, the helping, the, the comforting of Israel. It's a direct reference. This is a title. The consolation of Israel is a direct reference to Messiah, the promised one. The Son of God, the coming King who would bring in a promised kingdom, the consolation of Israel. And think of Israel, what a dark day it was. They were dominated by the Roman Empire. Idols were everywhere. Their righteous soul, and I'm speaking by figure of speech, was vexed. Everything against the Decalogue and their, their law was around them. They had to pay taxes to a king they despised. They, it was just a horrible city. They were dominated by... The Roman soldiers were often cruel. Remember when our Lord says if he compels you to take his, to go one mile with him, go with him twain, the Roman soldier could compel any, any citizen on the street corner. If you were there minding your own business, he would t- pick up my, my load and carry it. And that by law, they had to carry it a mile. Now, after a mile, by law, the soldier could not compel them to carry it farther than that. I'm sure, though, but through intimidation and all that, 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 that things were done harshly, our Lord said, just go ahead and shock them and surprise them and carry it another mile. That's grace, isn't it? That takes a lot. That takes more. If, if you and I were interrupted in our busy day tomorrow and somebody said, here, get, take, the, take this load. I want you to carry it for me for a mile. We'd say, who do you think I am? What do you think I am? What authority do you have? Well, the Roman Empire had the authority to do that. It was a dark day. And they longed to see, because they'd been promised and taught all their lives, at the temple and the synagogue, Messiah will come. He will set things straight. 
He will straighten out all that. We say that, don't we? I, wish, I mentioned it already in this message. I wish Jesus Christ would come back. It wouldn't matter who's in Congress or who's the president or what's going where. If, if Jesus Christ came back, he would straighten all this out. Yes, and he'd straighten you out too. He would straighten me out. The consolation of Israel. They were looking for a king who would do it right, get it right. Where did Simeon base that hope? What, what did he base that hope upon? No doubt it was founded upon Isaiah's teaching. You can find so much anywhere in the scripture, but Isaiah has all kinds of treasure tucked away. Isaiah got it. And some of the most glorious and beautiful portions of scripture or in Isaiah's prophecy, spend much time in what some call the fifth gospel, the Old Testament gospel of Isaiah, because he says so much about the Savior. In the second half of Isaiah's prophecy, he refers over and over again to the Messiah's coming. For example, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Handel so beautifully puts this to music. If you listen to all of Handel's Messiah, all those prophecies are, are, are spelled out there word for word. And I like that that. I think it's called a recessative or something like that. One of the people singing in Isaiah 40, verses 1 or 2, I'm married to a music person, so I know a few, I don't know what, what to do with it, but I know a few musical terms. I've heard them. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord spoken it. You see what authority is behind that promise? This will come to pass. pass. Why? God said it would. Verse 8 goes on to say, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. That's our church verse. The preciousness and the eternality of the word of God. O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. You see, Messiah will be God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs. I love this verse. I don't know if it's because of my name or what, but I just love this verse. He shall gather the lambs, and you know that means all of his children, all of his people. What a tender picture. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Simeon knew that prophecy. God was restating the Abrahamic covenant, which we've studied, and promised to give Israel back her land. All these prophecies foreshadowed the ministry of Christ as the comforter of his people. Simeon believed the Bible. He took the, the, the promises of the Bible literally. He was glad that he was saved personally, but he longed to see his people turn and, and see him as the Savior. He was passionate. 
and he was about this. He was a true believer. He longed to see all of God's promises completely fulfilled. Like Elijah of old, he was jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Simeon was truly a spiritual man. And it was obvious what guided him. It was obvious what his personal choices spelled out. Verse 25 tells us something else about Simeon. That is, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And in fact, three times in this portion of Scripture, the Bible mentions the Holy Spirit with Simeon. Now, again, I ask you, does that come to mind when people think of us? That we're led and guided by the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God rests upon us. That there's something in our hearts and lives that draws them to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit must work upon a person's heart to bring about conviction of sin. That has to take place before there's conversion. He has to show us our condition and that Christ is the Savior. And then to open that heart to the truth about one's need for a Savior. In Simeon's case, the Holy Spirit used the object lessons of all the Old Testament sacrifices. He saw it. The majority of the people did not get it. They went through the religious rigmarole, assumed that they were saved or that they would go to heaven because of their nationality, because of their race or because of the religious deeds they did. Nothing changes. Most people in churches today think the same thing. I'm a Christian. I was born in a Christian home. I've been in church all my life. In fact, I do all these things and hang out with good people, nice people. And if you ask them they're a Christian, they'd say, of course I am, especially here in Birmingham, Alabama. You'd be hard put to find somebody, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And they would, but when you ask them how they know they are, they'll give you all kinds of reasons of why they've come to that conclusion. But Simeon was different. Some people never see it at all. Some people never get it. The saddest thing, the greatest burden upon your pastor's heart, if you'd ask me what bothers you the most, Pastor Lamb, is that people sit and have heard the gospel week after week, year after year, and remain unmoved by it, unconvinced, unconverted. That brings me the greatest sorrow to my heart. His life was one that was led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. I would ask us this morning, is yours? Do you submit to the Word of God? There's no leading of the Holy Spirit of God apart from the Word of God. The two are never divorced, and one never leads opposite to the other. So if you're saying, the Lord told me to do this, and the Lord led me to do this, you're saying, I'm living according to the Scripture. And there's no Holy Spirit-controlled person who's not controlled and filled by God's Word. God's Word leads and guides us. Sometime earlier in his life, God revealed that that amazing message to Simeon. He lived all of his days in anticipation that he was going to see the Messiah. After all, that's what God promised him, right? It's very clear. Not in type, not in some object lesson as all the sacrifices were. The Bible says that it was revealed to him in verse 26 that he should not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. There's probably no more glorious promise in the Scripture than that to an individual. You're going to see, and you think, why Simeon? Now think about it. Why Simeon? God graciously chose Simeon. We could say, why Mary? Why Joseph? We could ask in our own conversion, why me? Why was I allowed to hear the gospel message? How is it that the Spirit showed me the things of Christ 
It calls me to love him whom I've never seen with these, these human eyes and for, to yearn for me to be with him and to go to where he is and to live according to this Lord and let him rule over me. How is that? We all of us who are redeemed know it's by the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. Don't you know that that, that caused him to order every day with that possibility in mind? I mean, let's just face it. If you've been told you're not going to die what if one of us were told, and I'm just surmising here, you're not going to die until Christ comes back for his church? Can you imagine how you would order your day? A lot of stuff just would not be on the list, would it, that we fret over and worry about? Have you ever had a pile of something on your desk and you, and you just go through it and, you, keep, and you, you, you just rearrange it and put it right back there? And finally, one day you look at it and say, why is that even here? Why is this taking up time? And, Maybe your desk doesn't look like my desk. And finally you get to the point, you just look at it and you thought, put the whole bit of it in the garbage can. And you think, why did I do that months ago? It's just piled up there. There's nothing, none of it meant anything. I wonder if we lived in the light of his coming, if so much of those piles we shift around mentally, inside, and in the daily round of life would even be on the agenda. Christ is coming again. He longed to be ready for the special event. Do you? Do you really believe? The Scripture tells us, I believe in my view of the Scripture, that the, the Lord could come back at any split second, at any time. Some of you say, yes, we've heard that. The preachers have heard that and scared us to death all of our lives. The Lord might come back tonight. It should, it should not scare you. Unless, if you know the Lord, it should cause you to walk holy before Him and to, to treasure the idea we could be the generation when He comes back. We have a similar promise. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We don't clearly understand all the, the details of the working out of it. A mystery is something that, that we don't fully understand. I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Notice how Paul puts himself in that we. The Apostle Paul clearly thought he would be alive when Jesus Christ came back. That's the promise to every generation of believers, the possibility of King Jesus coming back. We shall not all sleep. There will be believers alive, churches assembling the hour that Jesus Christ comes back. Are you ready? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Not all of God's people will die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Someone says that's a nanosecond. I don't even know what a nanosecond is, but I know it's real short. It didn't last very long. At the last trumpet, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised. How? Rotting, smelling, behold, he stinketh. No. Be raised incorruptible. We shall all be changed. Think of it. Some of us may be alive when the Lord returns. I heard a preacher recently said he always thought the Lord would come back at Christmas time. Just because people would be least expecting him on his birthday. Isn't it amazing how the world who denies the coming of Jesus in this world. They certainly love his birthday, don't they? I mean, they make everything out of it, take off work, and all the rest. For what? For something they don't believe in. Get drunk over it, give lavish gifts, get in debt over it, all because of the, 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 the coming of the Lord in this earth and totally miss the teaching of it altogether. He's coming again. You might not remember a lot of the details of this message this morning, but I'll just tell you what you can take home with you, this thought. He's coming again. 
Are you looking for him? Simeon knew that he was coming, and he was looking for him. We see Simeon also, one day he woke up and made his way to the temple. He lived every day thinking the Lord could come back. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I can see Simeon, if he is an old man, making his way to the temple. We studied about Hannah. She made her way there every day too, didn't she? At just the right moment, the Lord prompted Simeon to go to the temple. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. I want to be led that way, don't you? I don't want a bit of my life wasted. And I want to get up every day and say, Lord, direct my steps today. If there's someone I'm to speak to, if there's someone I'm to meet, if there's something I'm to do today for your honor and glory, help me to have sense enough to see it. May I be on time and in the right place where you want me to be and not miss a single thing. Shouldn't that be the desire of his people? Oh, the treasures that God has for his people. And some will miss it. They'll leave this service and not get it. They'll not receive the blessing, the, the, the answer, the, the key, the thing that God wanted to do for them. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child of Jesus, and I hate to say it in this way, but what are the chances of that happening without the Lord leading him? Simeon, but Simeon did what he did every day. He was looking and watching and waiting. And that's how we ought to live our lives, by the Spirit of God. Mary and Joseph knew nothing of Simeon. And he knew nothing of them or how to identify them. If you and I were looking for the Messiah, we wouldn't be looking for a poor couple with two turtle doves coming to the temple to, to bring. We, wouldn't, we would overlook that, wouldn't we? It took place in the court of women because that's as far as Mary could go. Outside the, the, the courtyard there. And God in his sovereignty appointed a time and a place for Simeon and the Messiah to meet. I'm not sure exactly what he said, what the conversation was, but Simeon approached her. And in that moment, God must have given Mary the realization that this was part of his divine plan. She had pondered all these things in the heart. her heart. The angel had told her that her son was the son of God. And Simeon must have asked, is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one? Could you imagine that validation from, from the Lord to Mary that this again was her son? He said, may I? And he takes the baby Jesus, and I believe he holds him up. There's an old portrait that someone has painted of Simeon holding the baby Jesus up. Mine eyes have seen salvation. Now some today would think, well, if I could see Jesus in that way, literally and bodily and physically, I would believe too. But the Bible talks about that congregation, that body of people that we fall into, who having not seen, we love him. Can you imagine what Simeon felt as he took the baby in his arms and maybe even kissed him? I don't know. Imagine the joy that filled his heart as he realized that God truly did fulfill his promises. At last, he was holding the Messiah. And then we see Simeon's anthem. The moment he saw the baby Jesus... The long-expected Jesus, he sang, and I'm just not, but a blessing there he gives. It is a, a hymn of praise. Simeon was ready now to go home, wasn't he? Remember what he'd been promised, you'll not die until you see the Savior. I don't know how much longer Simeon lived, but I believe he walked on air the rest of the time, don't you? Can you imagine what a privilege it was to have been used in that way? But what a privilege it is for you to know these things. For you to know Jesus Christ. Your faith is just as real as Simeon's faith. 
There's nothing that separates you from, from Simeon. If you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation, you're in that number. You're part of the bride. And I will promise you this. You will see him. Every eye will see him. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And is made unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on earth. Did you hear that? That's the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to reign with him. I don't know exactly what all that means, but the Bible says his people, his saints will serve him and will reign on earth. We shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. The number 10,000 in the scripture is innumerable. Think of the host of heaven, the myriads of heavenly hosts and those that have gone there saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Oh, what a savior. This is our savior and he has come. He's come to earth. Our eyes have seen salvation. We have the, the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have His Word here. Oh, you can see Jesus Christ. All you have to do is open the book and say, Lord, show me the glory of Christ. He's written on every page. In fact, this entire book is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of the good news that not only has sin come into the world, but the Savior of sin has come into the world, and He's coming again. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word this morning. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we marvel at these things. We pray too, Lord, come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Would you not come again, Lord, and rule and reign in our midst? Oh, but Lord, until then, may you conquer hearts today. There are those whose hearts are hardened by sin. And anyone outside of Christ is a, a prisoner to sin and to self and to Satan. I pray that you'd break through that, that chain and that, that prison and show them the key, the door. Show them Christ Jesus, the Lord. And may they come now confessing him as Lord. Would you receive him? If I were to hand you a, a million-dollar gift or some lavish gift, and you'd have to receive it, wouldn't you? The greatest gift of all, this unspeakable gift is standing today knocking on the door of your heart, would you receive him? Would you take him at his word? Make him your Lord and Savior? Believe on him? This church cannot save you, but we know the Savior, and we point you to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Lord, bless your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.